I'm Danny DiCrescenzo, joined by Marjorie Cohn, Professor Emerita at Thomas Jefferson School of Law, former president of the National Lawyers Guild and a member of the National Advisory Board of Veterans for Peace and the Bureau of the International Association of Democratic Lawyers. Her books include Drones and Targeted Killing, Legal, Moral, and Geopolitical Issues, and she's the co-host of Law and Disorder Radio. She is also a contributor for truthout.org, and we'll be discussing her latest article pertaining to Ketanji Brown-Jackson Supreme Court confirmation hearings titled GOP Senators Use Jackson Hearing to Agitate Their Base Before Election Campaigns. Professor Cohn, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Dan. No problem. And when it comes to Ketanji Brown-Jackson Supreme Court hearings, I think it's appropriate, given how they transpired, to go back to the last time we had a Supreme Court justice going through this process, Brett Kavanaugh, and the drama surrounding those hearings certainly attracted the ire of a lot of Republicans. What effect did the Kavanaugh hearings have going into Ketanji Brown-Jackson's confirmation hearings? Well, I think that some of the Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee, primarily Lindsey Graham, used the Kavanaugh hearings as an excuse to really mount vicious racist attacks on uh, Katanji Brown Jackson. The difference between the two hearings, one of the major differences, is that in the Kavanaugh hearings, there was a woman who testified that he had sexually abused her. Um, this was very different from these accusations that the Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee pulled out of thin air to attack Jackson, whose credentials are impeccable. But a lot of these attacks coming from these Republican senators on the Judiciary Committee involved critical race theory. Why do you think they were so adamant to perpetuate her association with CRT? Well, that is a flashpoint for the Republican Party. Critical race theory is an academic framework that analyzes how systemic racism permeates U.S. society, and it identifies racism as more than the result of individual prejudice and bias. It examines how racism is entrenched in our laws, institutions, and policies including housing, education, employment, healthcare, and policing, all of which reflect racial inequities. And what the Republican members of this committee tried to do was to show that Jackson's fidelity to critical race theory would make her a biased Supreme Court justice. Um, it was Ted Cruz who led the anti-critical race theory charge against Jackson. He cited language from a children's book in the library of the private Georgetown Day School on whose board um, of trustees Jackson sits. And Cruz singled out a book called Anti-Racist Baby by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. Uh, and he complained that this book conveys to children that babies are taught to be racist, they're not born racist, that they're encouraged to talk about racism and admit if they have been racist. And Cruz absurdly claimed that this elementary school was overflowing with critical race theory, um, a comment that reflects how the Republicans are inaccurately slapping the name of this complex theoretical framework onto any basic discussion of race and racism. And then he asked Jackson, do you agree that babies are racist? Well, after a considerable pause, Jackson said, I'm not really familiar with that book. 
Um, critical race theory is an academic theory taught in law schools, not in elementary schools, such as Georgetown Day School. And she said, I have not reviewed any of those books, any of those ideas. They do not come up in my work as a judge which I am respectfully here to address. And then she added, I do not believe that any child should be made to feel as though they are racist or though they are not valued or though they are less than their victims, that they are oppressors. I don't believe in any of that. Well, right-wing efforts against everything that the GOP deems to be critical race theory um, have led to book banning around the country. But ironically, after Ted Cruz uh, condemned anti-racist baby, it rose to the top of Amazon's list of best-selling children's books on racism and prejudice. What they're really trying to do is to say that because, you know, which is a racist accusation because it's critical race theory, therefore Jackson must embrace it and therefore she will be biased in her sentencing. That was the implication. And uh, Marsha Blackburn, one of the right wing senators on the committee, falsely told Jackson, you have made clear that you believe judges must consider critical race theory when deciding how to sentence criminal defendants. Is it your personal hidden agenda to incorporate critical race theory into our legal system? These are accusations made up out of, out of uh, whole cloth, out of thin air, but it made for good theatrics uh, appealing to the right wing base of many of these senators who have to run for re-election or who have their eyes on the presidency. And many of these attacks and this critical race theory, uh, you know, singling it out as, as this, uh, this enemy um, come from QAnon, which is a conspiracy theory. Um, and many people who, uh, who agree with QAnon think that Washington and the media are run by um, a, a Satan worshiping cabal of pedophiles. And so this figures into, this actually dovetails with the other major attack on Katanji Brown Jackson, which is that she's soft on crime, particularly when sentencing defendants for child pornography cases. And uh, so some of the senators, um, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, uh, Lindsey Graham went after her for giving sentences that were lower than the sentencing guidelines and what the, uh, the prosecution had asked for in a handful of cases. Well, in fact, as Judge Jackson pointed out, these sentencing guidelines are outdated. They need to be updated by Congress because they don't reflect that people can watch pornography on computers. And also the Supreme Court in the Booker case has said that these sentencing guidelines are uh, discretionary, they're not mandatory. And Judge Jackson said that when she uh, sentences a defendant, she looks at the whole case, she looks at the sentencing guidelines, the prosecutor's recommendation, the defense attorney's recommendation, the probation officer's recommendation, the facts of the specific case and the specific defendant involved. And with these theatrics of this of these hearings, with these allegations that trend closer to conspiracy theory than legal theory, to what extent do you feel that the Republican members of the Senate Judiciary Committee were more so doing this for the publicity, knowing it would be on TV versus actually trying to vet qualifications? 
Yes, well, I think you you raise an important point. They know that she her credentials are impeccable. There has never been a nominee for the Supreme Court with better credentials than uh, than Judge Jackson. She has extensive experience on the federal trial bench um, in the Court of Appeals. She was uh, vice chair of the sentencing guide of the uh, sentencing commission. Um, she has written hundreds of opinions. Um, and she graduated from Harvard. She was uh, editor of the Harvard Law Review. She is extremely well qualified. So I think that they were appealing to their base in anticipation of, of upcoming election campaigns. But I also think that they were trying to peel off some of the votes for her confirmation. Um, if all of the Democrats and the independents vote for her, she'll be confirmed. But there are two right-wing or conservative Democratic senators, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, um, who although they voted for her confirmation to the appeals court a year ago or less than a year ago, um, apparently the Republicans on the committee thought that they could appeal to them. Well, Joe Manchin, uh, who of course is very right-wing, came out in support of Jackson's nomination, as did Susan Collins, um, who is a Republican senator who voted for her confirmation along with Lisa Murkowski, another Republican uh, in last June. And so did Lindsey Graham. But I think that because Lindsey Graham had a very close race, a black uh, a challenger, that he was bending over backwards to appear uh, really outraged at, uh, at Jackson and paint her on soft, uh, as soft on crime. And he mounted some of the most racist, sexist attacks. But apparently, it looks like uh, with, this, with the confirmation that Manchin's going to vote for her with Collins' vote, even if Cinema doesn't vote for her, she'll still have the votes for confirmation. And that, for me, is pretty surprising on Graham's part. Well, not surprising that he tried to reverse his stance, but he used to always confirm Obama's nominees. So it's interesting to see the reversal. You mentioned how she really doesn't have much to worry about. So if her ascension to the court is pretty much assured, what do you think is the biggest takeaway from Ketanji Brown Jackson's confirmation process, the hearings, Biden's selection of her? What do you think is the biggest takeaway from what it represents about American politics today? Well, it's it's really uh, historic that a black woman would be nominated and ultimately hopefully confirmed to the Supreme Court. She will be the first black woman ever to sit on the court. There have been 115 justices on the Supreme Court. 108 of them have been white men. Um, and so this is a historic nomination. She's extremely well qualified. And what came out of those hearings was her grace, her dignity, the fact that she remained in flap, unflappable in the face of these vicious attacks um, is only to her credit. And I think that that is reflected in the polls, which have come out since then, where the uh, majority of American people want her to be confirmed to the court. Uh, but it is a historic nomination. And not only that, um, the most progressive justice on the Supreme Court now is a Justice Sotomayor. Um, and Jackson is, I believe, equally progressive. And Kagan is a liberal. She, she votes with the liberals. But I think that you will see um, if and when Jackson is confirmed, two women of color, two 
um, the only two justices with trial experience, they, when they were judges, they actually handled trials. And they will, uh, although they're not going to change the balance of the court, it is skewed six to three in favor of the right wingers. I think that having Sotomayor and Jackson as a very strong progressive force will invariably move the direction of the Supreme Court. So I think it's extremely important and significant um, that she is the nominee and certainly if she's confirmed will be the first black woman ever to serve on the Supreme Court. I think it's interesting how you mentioned the weight she will carry because during the hearing she refused to really put a label on her philosophy when pressed upon it. Could you further expand on where she would stand on that liberal wing? Well, one of the things about Jackson is that she's a real consensus builder, very much like Breyer. She clerked for Stephen Breyer, whom, whom she will be replacing on the court. And so if they can bring along with them, at a minimum, uh, John Roberts, who is a right winger, but he is concerned not just with his right wing credentials, but also with uh, the legacy of the Roberts court. It's his court. He's the chief justice. Um, and then maybe, it, you know, in some cases, they might be able to peel off one of the uh, of the of the other right wingers. Again, it was even with Roberts going along with the three liberals, it would still be five to four. But um, the fact that she's a consensus builder will give even more heft to the liberal position, I think, cannot be underestimated. And my last question for you, Professor, for centuries, the Supreme Court has remained a not largely nonpartisan body. But, you know, in the last, I would say, couple decades of the 20th century, you can argue even further back than that, it started to see some polarization. And not since I would even say Robert Bork, have we seen such polarization in the confirmation stage of a Supreme Court nominee? What will be the legacy of these hearings going forward, especially considering they were the hearings of the first black woman ever nominated to the court? I don't think that polarization is going to change. I think that as the country and indeed the Congress become more and more polarized, you're going to see these hearings be polarized as well. Um, the, interestingly, the Republicans didn't ask her at all about abortion, which has always been a hot button topic because they are confident that the right wingers on the Supreme Court are going to overturn Roe, Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs case, in the Mississippi case, by the end of June, I think they feel secure in that, but they did signal that they may be going after um, same-sex marriage and the Obergefell case. Um, so I think that you're going to see increasing polarization. Unfortunately, um, the vicious, racist, sexist attacks is something we haven't seen before. But of course, there's never been a Black woman nominated to the Supreme Court. And once again, that was Marjorie Cohn, Professor Emerita at Thomas Jefferson School of Law, former president of the National Lawyers Guild, and a member of the National Advisory Board of Veterans for Peace and the Bureau of the International Association of Democratic Lawmakers. We discussed her latest article about Katanji Brown Jackson's confirmation hearings published on truthout.org titled GOP Senators Use Jackson Hearing to Agitate Their Base Before Election Campaigns. Thank you so much for joining me, Professor. It was an honor to talk to you about this, this highly relevant subject in Washington right now. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Dan.